the rain Winter snow can paint her young again I'm a lucky man Call this home Call this home I'm a lucky man Welcome to this podcast of History Speaks from the Montour County Historical Society. The podcast is returning on a monthly basis. My name is Terry Diener. I'll be hosting these podcasts, which we hope to post at the beginning of each month. The Historical Society is excited to be able to open the doors of both the Montgomery House and Boyd House Museums each Sunday from 1 until 4. We have opened an entirely new room in the Boyd House, featuring businesses and industries that have been part of our rich history over the years. Each of the museums has new exhibits. Members of the Montour County Historical Society are admitted free, as are those 18 and under. For others, there is a $10 fee which allows you access to both museums. Membership information is also available. Our podcast will look at the remarkable people places and stories that make Montour County a special place to call home. Our July focus is on the 2020 Danville Heritage Festival, and like so many other events impacted by the COVID-19 coronavirus, it will have a different look this year. We've asked Van Wagner, who many know as a local educator, songwriter, and musician, to talk about this year's festival. Van has taken the lead in organizing the event over the last few years, and he has met the challenge this year head-on in continuing the Heritage Festival with an online presence from July the 13th through the 18th. Van agreed to sit down and map out the plans for this year's event. Hello, Terry, and thanks for the invitation to talk with you a bit about the Danville Heritage Festival and all the things we have planned for 2020. There's been a lot of changes in the works, of course, but a lot of things that we were able to keep alive and well so that the festival momentum keeps going. You know, we could start off here, just tell you a little little bit about some of the things we had planned before uh, all the closures and cancellations. We we had such an exciting uh, development partnering with the Danville Business Alliance to bring the festival to Mill Street, bring it back to Mill Street. As many folks will recall, the Iron Heritage Festival uh, at its pinnacle was was centered downtown. And for years, we've been trying to move in that direction. And this would have been here. We would have been back downtown. I credit Dale Hoover and his efforts with the uh, the, the cruise in, uh, what a lot of folks call the car show, but it was really just a cruise in. It wasn't a true car show. But that's really what got the momentum going of bringing people back downtown during our festival weekend. Thanks to the merchants, we had an invitation through the DBA to set up on Mill Street, and it was going to be ground zero was going to be Mill Street. One of the highlights that we had lined up that would have been part of that was called the Traveling Ring of Fire, and it's an exhibition that comes from Steamtown with the National Park Service up in the Wyoming Valley. I, I saw this incredible display. Uh, where was I? I was at a state park, and they had this thing on display. It, it was a giant flame heating up a, a, a wheel to then fit on, or I should say, I guess it's a rim, the rim of a wheel. And they would heat up this rim and get it red hot, and that would make it expand. And then they could fit it onto a railroad wheel. I guess you'd call that a tire. And just a really cool exhibit, plus just a lot of action, lots of fire, the kind of things I thought kids would enjoy seeing. You know, that's always something I try to stay mindful of is what is it in our events that will keep kids interested. There's definitely a time and a place for adult lectures and, and speaking, but you also need something that's going to keep kids excited. And this this wheel of fire, man, it was it. <laughs> so both of those things are now off. We're not going to have a street fair in 2020 on Mill Street. Now, I did hear from Becca uh, Dressler that some of the merchants are doing sidewalk sales. So there will be 
some activity on Mill Street. It just won't be necessarily musicians. It won't be this wheel of fire or some of the other things we had in the works. So the discussion came up a few weeks ago when we started realizing that we weren't going to be able to have the in-person festival with large groups and large gatherings. We, we kind of discussed options. You know, option one is to cancel. Option two was to take our chances and keep planning for an in-person festival and then make a final call in July here. And it, I think that, you know, was just too risky. You got to make a decision early. And so we decided to just move everything online. So the, the, the festival vibe, the, the, the programming, the content will all be delivered in a way that it can be posted on the Internet and folks can access videos and essays on local history. Certainly not the same thing as what we have planned most years with in-person celebrations. But I, I, I thought that was good. I shouldn't say I. The whole committee thought that was good because it keeps the festival alive. Rather than just saying canceled, it's just so nice to be able to say, you know, we're, we're adapting it and moving it online. So in a nutshell, here's what we have planned. Everything is going to be centered around the Danville Heritage Festival's Facebook page. And let me just start by saying you do not need to have a Facebook account to access that Facebook page. It works just like uh, any other website. In fact, here, I'm going to prove it right now. If you Google Danville Heritage Festival Facebook, it should be the first thing that comes up. And it is indeed. So if you Google Danville Heritage Festival Facebook, and then you click the very first link that comes up, you're looking at our Facebook page. This was set up through the partnership with the Danville Business Alliance. And we have a really good arrangement with them, thanks to Becca Dressler. It's, it's just a really great arrangement where we're covered under their umbrella of insurances and, and nonprofit status, bank accounts, things like that. And we operate as an entity of the DBA. Meanwhile, we are kind of our own committee, and, and we, we meet at the DBA, and we meet with Becca and get a lot of support. But she often comments that it's really the committee that keeps the, the festival vibrant. So it's still very much a volunteer organization. Okay, so I'm there now as we're talking. I just wanted to test that out. I'm on the Danville Heritage Festival's Facebook page. Now, you may get a pop-up that asks you to log in or join Facebook if you don't have an account, but you have the ability to X that or cancel that and click it, get it out of the way, and, and you'll be able to see our Facebook posts. So what we have planned, we're going to, the whole week of what would have been the festival, so July 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, all the teens, we are going to post something new every day about Danville heritage or local heritage. And so rather than post it you know, once and done, we wanted to have something that'll keep people excited for the next day. For example, so Monday's theme is going to be all about forest heritage. We're going to have posts on logging history, lumber, sawmills, charcoal, things that have to do with, with our local forest resources. That'll be Monday. And we want people then to be excited for, gee, what's, what's going to come up Tuesday? And we wanted to kind of keep that buzz all week so people are excited to keep checking back the next day and the next day rather than just post it all and then have you work through it. So here are the topics, and then maybe we can get a little bit more in depth as to what we have planned. The topics will be forest heritage. Tuesday is going to be anthracite coal heritage. You can't talk about Danville and iron if you're not going to talk about anthracite, even though you might not think of us as a coal town. We are uh, peas in a pod for sure with the coal industry. I'll explain in a moment. Uh, Wednesday, we're going to talk about the Susquehanna River, going to get into famous floods, river coal, stuff like that. Thursday, we're going to focus on iron ore and limestone, so kind of celebrating our local geology and what that has to do with local heritage. 
Friday the 17th, specifically the iron industry, so getting into the furnaces, the rolling mills, the T-rail. And then Saturday the 18th, we're going to post information all about Danville. It's just kind of all things Danville heritage. So we'll get into the garden tour, the gatehouse, you know, you name it, it's it's fair game if it, if it has to do with our region's history. And then Sunday the 19th, uh, this is one of the few in-person things we do still have the ability to have because it's small, small groups. The Boyd House Museum will be open from 2 to 4 on Sunday the 19th. Admission is $10 a person. Um, members of the Montour County Historical Society, as well as children under 18, are free. So the admission fee of $10 is for folks who are not members of the Montour County Historical Society. Let's back up here and talk a little bit more in depth about some of these topics. We're going to kick off Monday, July 13th with forest heritage, uh, getting into how our forests and timber resources have been an important part of our heritage. And it's so much deeper than just, say, logging. It's way deeper than that. We're going to get into white pine log rafting. That's something that folks may recall we built a log raft in 2004 under the Iron Heritage Festival and brought it down the north branch of the Susquehanna River, and that was just such a fun experience, but it also was an experience that really gave me an education in that history of that industry because in building our replica raft, people came out of the woodwork, very knowledgeable people that had literature and, and books that I had never seen before and shared it with me, just saying, hey, if, you know, if you're interested in rafting, you ought to read this. And I've learned so much since then about the rafting era, as it's called, of when people brought white pine logs to market on the Susquehanna River using rafts. So we'll talk about that. I also want to really promote charcoal. It's, the, it's one of the most underappreciated parts of our history, the charcoal production in Pennsylvania. So this is kind of pre-coal. What did people use for industrial fuel? They used charcoal. Charcoal is baked hardwoods. Danville had a lot of charcoal production while we still had a forest. In fact, some of our earliest furnaces that made iron here in Danville area, uh, they used charcoal. And so in the 1820s, there was a competition. I don't recall off the top of my head what the award was. It might have been a, a million dollars. I know that's a lot of money in the 1820s, but it was a major cash award for who could make uh, iron using anthracite coal. Because up until that time, they had not mastered the process and they were still reliant on charcoal. And industry leaders uh, recognized there was not an infinite supply of trees. And so something had to give. There were several furnaces that did it. I believe it was 1828. Although Danville cannot claim to have the first, uh, I think that technically goes to someone in Schuylkill County. I don't recall if it was Pottsville or St. Clair, but there was a furnace there that did it. But Danville was only a few months behind. In fact, you know, it takes a long time to build a furnace and have it ready to go and producing iron. And so why do I mention that? Because I don't have uh, the dates memorized, but it was only just, I think, a month or two after the furnace in Schuylkill County produced iron that Danville had furnaces producing iron using anthracite coal. And so my point is they were on the right track. They already had the right design. They just didn't have it built in time. But it's a pretty neat claim to fame. So we'll just say among the first furnaces in the country to have ever successfully made iron using charcoal. Uh, another use of charcoal that we should just touch on briefly has to do with explosives. A few years ago, I researched black powder. Um, folks might be familiar with Powder Mill Hollow or Powder Mill Road. There was a black powder explosives plant up uh, where Powder Mill Hollow is, uh, not just to the north of Geisinger. And you need three ingredients to make black powder explosives. You need sulfur, you need saltpeter or sodium nitrate, potassium nitrate, and you need charcoal. 
And what I did not realize is they used, if they could get it, they used charcoal made from grapevine. It had a more ideal chemical consistency for making explosives. And what I cannot tell you is if Danville's black powder charcoal makers did so with grapevine or with whatever they could find. I do not know that. But it took a tremendous amount of black powder to blast iron ore loose, to blast limestone from the quarries, uh, to, to make railroad cuts. So they went through thousands of pounds of black powder, probably annually. So it took a lot of charcoal to keep that going. Let's move on to July 14th, Tuesday. We're going to celebrate anthracite coal and its connections to our region. You can't talk Danville history and not talk about anthracite coal. It is one in the same. Um, anthracite is found up the Susquehanna River, so to our north and east in the Wyoming Valley. Geographically, it's found closer over in Shimokin area, Mount Carmel area. You know, as the crow flies, that is a closer deposit of anthracite coal, but it's far more difficult to get that coal to Danville because of several mountains. And so, although in the latter years, coal did and still does come from the Shimokin Mount Carmel area, early on it was the coal that was brought down the Susquehanna River in barges and later in canal boats that brought coal to Danville's furnaces. That was our first connection, is just it, it kept our furnaces fueled. The other connections I want to mention, the Geisinger family. I think all, just about everybody certainly recognizes that name. And it was George Geisinger that made his fortune by being owner of the Kingston Coal Company. He certainly had Danville iron interests as well, but really the, a significant portion of his fortune came from owning the Kingston Coal Company up in the Wyoming Valley. And so the Geisinger fortune, which, you know, let's face it, the year 2020, looking at Danville and what it is today, if I were to sum our economy up with one word, it would be Geisinger. I mean, it is the backbone of our economy to this day, and that wouldn't even exist had it not been for George Geisinger's success being a, a coal baron, if you will. And I've always acknowledged, too, though, you can't stop there, because George didn't build the hospital. His wife, Abigail, did. And when she, uh, after his death, and she decided she wanted to build a hospital to, you know, remember her husband, it's neat that she picked Danville as the location. She referenced that, you know, she wanted to leave a hospital to take care of the people that made their family successful. So the iron workers and the coal miners. So again, it all goes back to our connection to coal. Let's go to Wednesday, July 15th and the Susquehanna River. I think this is going to be a popular topic because many folks are going to have famous flood stories. You know, for me, the 2011 flood will be the flood that, at least so far, the biggest flood I remember. But many folks will remember the flood of 72. And so what I hope to have happen on July 15th is folks will be posting and sharing stories, memories, photographs of different floods on the river. But we can also not just dwell on floods. Let's talk a little bit about some of the industries related to the river. Uh, we can get into eels, shad. These were uh, fish that people caught on an industrial scale out of the river. I recently took a, my sons down to the eel dam just out from the FQ Hartman field, and my son Luke took some incredible drone footage showing the Danville eel dam. Uh, I posted that on my personal Facebook page, so if you have not seen that, do check it out. It's, it's a really, really cool perspective of something that is 6,000 years old, potentially. Just pause and let that number sink in. It's 1,500 a, a years older than the pyramids in Egypt. I mean, I, I, I just cannot believe we have something in our backyard that's older than the pyramids, and yet there's not even, there's not a historical plaque to recognize it. There's no state or federal recognition of the site. 
And I just think that's incredible. You know, here, sure, maybe it's not as glorious as the, as the pyramids. I get that. But just the fact that we have a st- stone structure that is clear as day visible, especially look at this drone footage my son took. I mean, you don't need to use your imagination. You can see this thing. And it was built by human hands thousands of years ago, and it's right here in our valley. To me, that is just a treasure, and I hope it is. Soon, I hope there's some kind of recognition for it. Like I said, currently, there's nothing like that. We might get into river coal as well. You know, people will still remember through the 1990s, the Sudol family, I believe, was the last to dredge coal from the Susquehanna River on a, on a business size basis, meaning that they actually did this as a, as a form of making income for the family. But decades before, it wasn't just the Sudols, and so I've done some research on some of the other folks, uh, the apprentices and uh, some of the other folks that did local river coal digging, and we'll celebrate all that on July 15th. Thursday, July 16th, let's get into the iron ore and limestone, local geology. You know, folks often reference if it wasn't for the iron ore here in Danville, there never would have been an iron industry. That's very true. Now, it's not that we have superb iron ore. We had two mediocre veins of ore. And I say mediocre simply because there were richer veins elsewhere in the state. There were easier to mine veins, easier in the state. But they did the job. I think, that, I think really what made us an, a success was a combination of all the key ingredients. Yeah, you needed iron ore, but you also needed access to coal, fuel. You needed limestone. We had all those things. And then the last thing is you needed, you needed uh, labor. And in te- you know trained labor, and Danville had that. We had folks coming in from other countries that had been making iron and done and had mining experience, and so you put all those things together, and Danville had the perfect mix. But I don't want folks to think that it was strictly because we had this great quality iron ore. We really didn't. We had mediocre iron ore, but it was good enough. It did the job. The veins were quite small. If you've ever been to the mining tours, the mine tours that Herman Jones and Larry Morden and I have done together, the veins were small. I mean, they would pinch down. One of my favorite memories was visiting with Cy Kelly in the 1990s. Cy lived into his 90s. He lived down on, I believe, Grand Street in Danville. And I used to go interview him when I was a teenager and just talk to him about what it was like working in the big mill. And he would talk about being an iron worker. And his grandfather had been an iron ore miner in Danville. And he had some firsthand stories from his grandfather. Now, I draw some significance to this because I don't know if folks realize Danville's iron mines closed by the 1880s. There was no more iron ore mining in our area after the 1880s. So to find anybody that has any kind of firsthand connection to the mines, you don't find them. There's certainly no one left living that worked in the mines. But occasionally, like Mr. Kelly, I could find uh, some stories that were related through family. So one story I remember Mr. Kelly telling me, he said his grandfather worked in what a lot of folks call the monkey drift. It's the mine that is now cemented shut, Continental Boulevard. And through the 1950s and 60s, the opening was still there. And it kind of came out where Perkins parking lot is nowadays. A lot of folks tell me they remember sitting there in the summer and eating ice cream and they would enjoy the cool air draining out of the monkey drift. So anyway, his grandfather had worked in that mine and he described to his grandson that it would get so low, the, the veins would pinch out so much that he could lay on the floor and he could have his elbow on the floor of the mine and his fingertips could touch the ceiling of the mine. And I can remember Mr. Kelly acting that out and showing me. It's a vivid memory I have. So these were not monstrous veins of ore. They were quite small. So we're going to get into that on July 16th, the iron ore and the limestone. Let's hop over to July 17th. This is going to be a bigger snapshot of the iron industry. 
We're going to be looking at the blast furnaces, the rolling mills, Danville's claim to the T-rail, and celebrate the iron industry. Let's get to July 18th, all things Danville. So this, we thought, would just be a good culmination of you know all these topics and anything else we've missed. Let's make Saturday the big day to just really promote local history and other topics. So I know the Gatehouse is working on some pictures and history that they can share. Gatehouse, of course, out there at the State Hospital field. So that'll be coming. Bob Umbriak has some really nice resources coming together to celebrate the garden tours. That'll probably come out on that date. Now let's bump to the last day. Again, Sunday, July 19th. And that will be our in-person day. You can come to the Boyd House Museum. I'm sure they're going to somehow have a social distancing small group guideline that they'll explain at the door. But in small groups, folks can tour the Boyd House Museum. That'll be open 2 to 4 p.m. on Sunday, July 19th. Again, admission $10 for anyone who's not a member of the Montour County Historical Society. Members are free as well as anyone under 18, any children. So that is the 2020 festival in a snapshot. I think you'll see that this is not as big and grand as some of the festivals we've had historically, street festivals, if you will. But I also think we've done a good job of having a lot of content. I mean, this is... This took, I'm looking at the clock, this took 20 minutes to explain to you, <laughs> on my end anyway. So there's there's a lot of content still to come. You're just going to have to visit it online. And hopefully that's a way we can all stay safe and minimize danger to our, our neighbors and friends. So Terry, thanks so much for your interest in all of this. And uh, we look forward to the week of the festival. Again, it's going to be the July teens. So kicking off July 13th and going through the 19th, the July teens. Van, thank you. I think in some respects, even though the festival as we have known it takes on a new look in 2020, it offers people the unique opportunity to visit www.facebook.com Danville Heritage Festival each day to view the topics July the 13th through the 18th. As Van mentioned, you do not have to be a Facebook member to view these daily stories. The Historical Society would love to have you visit the Montgomery House and Boyd House Museums each Sunday from 1 until 4. We've opened an entirely new room in the Boyd House with exhibits focusing on businesses and industries that have been a part of our rich history in Montour County over the years. Each of the museums have new exhibits. Members of the Montour County Historical Society are admitted free, as are those 18 and under. For others, there is a $10 fee which allows you access to both museums. Membership information is available. This has been History Speaks, a podcast you'll be able to listen to monthly from the Montour County Historical Society. I'm your host, Terry Diener. I'm a lucky man, call this home, call this home, I'm a lucky man. And a man might search his whole life through, never find.